Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. I'm Jason Harmon, your host, and I have Miss Mimi Barnes with me co-hosting today. Good Thank to be you, here. Mimi, for being here with us today. And uh, we got some special guests with us, Mr. Michael Neal and David Roddy. So with the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, we are... This is the podcast of the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency and uh, just trying to get the information out to you, the public, and keep you all informed on what we're doing and how we're trying to make the outdoors better for you. And um, that's what this show is all about. And we are in a little different studio today. We are at Hiawassee Refuge and um, it's a neat place to be. Yeah, known for sandhill cranes and waterfowl, that's for sure. And it, it is a beautiful place to be. A little bit cold this morning. It though. is cold. I thought they were going to put us out on the pavilion out, outside <laughs> and we were going to be freezing our butts off out there. But but no, this is nice in here at the, the little um, cabin they got here on the property. And and um, it's good to be here. It is so, good I seen a deer here. when I came in uh, running across the field out there. So it, I was a uh, osprey are back. I was looking for bald eagles on the way in, I have to admit, but didn't see any. But the osprey are back already, so yeah, good sign awesome. of spring despite the weather. Yeah, but uh, we got a, a good set here today inside, and we're staying warm, and uh, we want to talk, uh, talk fishing mostly today. But uh, first I wanted to hit on the uh, 2017 uh, fish regulations, some of the changes that are going on, and I'll show those to the folks at home if you're watching um, there's a few changes and, uh, you can see those on the screen and, uh, not, not many, but just a few we need to, to make note of. And, um, if you're a big crappie fisherman and, and region one Kentucky Lake, that uh, crappie limit has changed. So make sure you make note of that. It's 20 per day instead of 30, I think is what it was before, but, uh, just make sure you make note of, of the different changes, uh, across the state. Um, uh, they got the guide license now and the new native Tennessee annual license, um, and there's special regulations there are special things you have to turn in to make sure you apply for that or to, that allow you to apply for that so just a few of the 2017 uh changes and and the guides should be should be should be in weather slowed us down a little bit and uh, we should see those guides coming in this next week but uh, uh we were hoping to get them this week but with weather we can't control mother nature so uh here, here we are coming into another week but you can check them out online pull them up on your phone even yeah just right there under the four anglers tab it's real easy to find on our website at tnwildlife.org so uh it's all right there and and uh, this weekend is the juvenile um Youth turkey hunt turkey hunt yep yeah that's an exciting one so the kids will be raring to go to get out there and chase some turkeys and then the uh the uh, the, the full season opens up the next weekend april fool's day april 1st it's on the joke folks <laughs> it's happening we look forward to it uh, turkey season's always a fun one on our wildlife management areas and throughout the state and uh, if you want to share your pictures with us please check us out on facebook and just send us those pictures we love seeing what's going on out there and we love seeing your success and speaking of pictures if you if you post your your pictures uh to twitter or or instagram or facebook and you put a hashtag behind that tn wildlife or tn uh, hashtag tn trophy room that'll end up on our tag board and uh and feature it out there and you can go see all the harvests and catches and everybody having fun out in tennessee outdoors so. yeah get out there and enjoy it folks well let's uh let's get to our guest and uh introduce mr michael neal michael we appreciate you being with us today and being on the show oh thanks for having me and uh and uh, he's a, a professional angler and he's uh also helping us uh, get the word out about aquatic nuisance uh, species and uh, and we have mr david roddy here with us he's kind of behind this the whole program and uh 
helps us uh, stay on top of the the problems we're seeing with these guys, the aquatic nuisance stuff. And and um, so anyway, first I want to talk start with Michael and 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 get a quick quick background from you. So how'd you get into fishing and 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 uh, what's the tour you're on? And, and give us just a little background about yourself. I fished the FLW tour along with the BASS Opens. Um, I fished the tour since 2012, so this is my my sixth year uh, total. I've made the made the Forestwood Cup several times in that span, so I, I've had a little bit of success as a fisherman. We can always do better, but I love fishing. I mean, it's always been my passion. I love to hunt too. Mm-hmm. Off time in the winter, that's what I do most of the times. I spend my time out in the woods chasing deer, do a little bit of crappie fishing. So still, still got the fishing in there, but I take a little bit, a little bit of a break in the winter time to get away from it. Sometimes you don't want to get burned out on it being on the road six eight months out of the year it gets a little tiresome towards the end but uh you got that off season then you're ready to go the next year again we're three tournaments in out of seven so far this year so we're almost halfway and i'm really looking forward to the second half of the season so how's the season going so far i'm in 13th in the points so far awesome. I'm not far fantastic. out of the top 10 not top far out of the top five but it's still anybody's game at this point for angler of the year and to win any of the tournaments. I mean, I haven't won my first professional event yet, so these next four, I'm really going, really going to try and get that milestone. Cool. So Good where's luck. your, yeah, where's your next, uh, your next uh, tournament? The next one's at Lake Cumberland. It's April around the around the ninth, sixth through the ninth, I believe, are the dates. The first week, full week of April. So it's going to be a good tournament, uh, not too far across state lines. So it'll it'll be good. Awesome. Well. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the the aquatic nuisance uh, partnership. How did you uh, get involved with us as an agency and in, in, in this partnership? You know, I, I've seen this aquatic nuisance stuff all across the country, everywhere we go now. They're talking about this in the meetings, it's signs at the boat ramps, and it's something that's in, affecting the whole country. It's not just one certain area. We really need to take a look at this here in Tennessee, and that's how I got with TWRA and formed this partnership, is I'm passionate about that. I'm looking down the road at 20, 30 years from now. I want things to be like they are now. I don't want to see things go on a downhill slide. So I got with TWRA and all the great guys here and wanted to want to see if I could help out. Yeah, I uh, I was curious. I want to back up a little bit. Who introduced you to fishing and and throughout your career um, and throughout your life, have you seen aquatic nuisance species affecting the fisheries around you? I have. Uh, I grew up fishing with really every male figure in my family. My dad, my grandfather, my uncle. Uh, my uncle's a well-known guy here on Chickamauga, Roger Brown. He's probably who taught me a lot more of the tournament aspect of fishing, but those other two guys definitely had a big part in getting me out on the water at a young age. Kept me out of trouble all through school, too. I mean, you can't <laughs> complain about that. I didn't have many friends in school, but all I wanted to do was either play baseball or fish. Nice. So it got me to where I'm at now, and I'm very thankful for that, very thankful for all my family and getting me out on the water. And that's something I tell people now is make sure you try and take a kid fishing. It doesn't matter how young they are, how much that it may it may take out of your day, or you may have to get them untangled 20 times a day, but they will remember that, and they will appreciate it later on, for sure. Yeah, I, and think, that's a, I think that's true for all of us. For sure, it. for sure. And I have seen the aquatic nuisances. Um, even everywhere we go, like up north, the zebra mussels have been really, really bad in the Great Lakes. Um, it really affects the fishing 
it's harder to fish for them. You have to kind of pay attention. You have to really check your knots all the time. They fray your line really bad. So it's, I mean, there's a lot of things that it does with fishing. You got the plants that grow that completely change the ecosystem of a lake or river. It's just, there's all kinds of things with aquatic nuisances that change fishing. Yeah, we're hoping to keep that out as much as we can with the uh, Aquatic Nuisance Species Program here and everything David's done. And I'm real proud of the Region 3 Fisheries crew. They just, the reservoir crew, they've just jumped in and been teaching high school bass teams and spreading the word as much as they can. They have cleaning stations around, and we just hope to keep uh, that that whole program spreading. That's oh, yeah, the high school is a great place to start. I mean, that's a great thing for anglers to get them going all the way up to. So get them, get them started at a young age, even before that. Start teaching them about the aquatic nuisances so we'll have these these great treasures we have for a long time to come. Yeah, so so I want to ask, so you, uh, you grew up around Chickamauga? I have, I is, have. I've been here all my life. Is that uh, your favorite? Do you have a favorite place to fish in Tennessee? I would have to say that this is this is the favorite. Uh, Pickwick would be a close second. I really enjoy fishing that lower end of Pickwick down there around on the Tennessee end by the dam. Kentucky Lake, I mean, the whole Tennessee River system has got to be my favorite. That's how I like to fish, mostly those offshore fish. And when you're on the Tennessee River, you can always find some of those fish out there. So... Chickamauga would have to be my favorite. I mean, you got the state record came out of here a few <laughs> years ago, and I'm sure there's another one out there swimming around for somebody else to catch. And it's it's unbelievable how this place is from now, especially when I first started, that I can really remember in the early 2000s how the fishing was then to 2017 now. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how much has changed. Mm, I was going to ask you later in the show about your your big catch and 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 chasing the, the big fish. What's your biggest catch so far? Uh, for a five fish limit was I believe it was 37.96. It was my uncle and myself in a CBA Chattanooga Bass Association tournament. I believe it was 2014. It was the year the Alabama rig first came out uh, real strong, and we caught it then. My f- biggest single fish is just a nine-pounder. I don't mm. get to fish out here as much as I'd like to, being on the road and all that, and working at the Dayton Boat Dock, keeping everything straight there, and tackle sales and a little restaurant. But I'd like to get out here. I, that's my goal is in the next 12 months sometime to catch a 10-pounder. I mean, it's uh, you hear so many out here. <laughs> For us to hear a nine pounder (laughs) (laughs) that's a big fish i'm chasing the six pounder (laughs) come right come right here to chickamauga i promise you it won't take you too long to catch a six i did get lucky enough to catch a six pounder one time and then it was funny i was just fishing off a little dock in middle tennessee on percy priest lake and and happened to catch a a mama sitting there right up under the dock but uh so anyway well let's let's push the mic over to david real quick and uh, and let's hit on some of this aquatic nuisance stuff and and highlight the the problems and talk about some of the issues we're having david thanks for for being with us today and, and coming to to uh region three i guess and getting away from the national office for oh, sure any for a little while um tell us about the aquatic nuisance species program and and what our goals are with this with this program. i don't know if i have a whole lot to add after michael he's, he's, <laughs> he's pretty, pretty versed in this it's, that's, that's good to hear he's on it um basically in 2008 um the tennessee aquatic nuisance species management um um program went in mm. into place um this opened the door for us to use this management plan uh, to get some federal funding. It's it's very small. We're actually trying to get uh, a piece of $2 million that are about 40 states are trying to get as well. So um, <clears throat> that management plan actually um, identified 75 aquatic plants and animals that are 
uh, invasive in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, also with this funding we get, we try to educate the people and we try to survey our our water bodies with these uh, nuisance species. And also we're able to um, post uh, boat ramp signs and the sign uh, with the Asian carp, it's not to um, uh, get people overly excited. It's just a warning that they're here because they will jump eight feet out of the water. And uh, we just want to let people know that they're present, not to scare them off. But um, the challenges we have, there's three major species from from West Tennessee. It's the Asian carp. They're mm-hmm. in Kentucky Reservoir, Barkley, and the Tennessee River, and also the Cumberland River. As you, as you move to East Tennessee, we've got the zebra mussels, and in between, we've got a lot of aquatic vegetation that's pretty much across the state. And one of the, uh, other than the Asian carp, uh, the zebra mussels, and I think this came from Watts Bar. Um, this is our major concern, and Michael mentioned it. Um, these things are really spread up north. They came in from overseas, and Oh, about 1988, and they got into the Great Lakes from ballast water from shipping uh, vessels, and they have slowly moved down um, the Mississippi and going out through the tributaries. And uh, they first showed up in Norris Reservoir at a at a marina, mm-hmm. and we, you know, there's no barge traffic going through there. So basically, the anglers from up north brought them to Norris at this marina. They launch their boats there. They'll keep their boats in those slips. And um, these zebra mussels, once they attach, they really won't come off unless you, you knock them off. You can see, if you can see, uh, there's little bissel threads here that attach to rocks, plastic, concrete, uh, fiberglass bolt holes. Right. And it's almost like super glue. And uh, one adult zebra mussel can filter a liter of water, and that's what Michael was saying about the Great Lakes. There's so many up there that they're actually filtering uh, the microscopic food out of the water. It's making it's clear. It's making it's clear, and it's getting blue-green algae. Mm-hmm. It's also getting aquatic vegetation. It's actually changing the the chemistry of of some of the Great Lakes. So that's what we're seeing in Norse. It's starting to get clear. The productivity is going down. And that was around the 1980s, you said, that they started seeing this? Or? Up in up in, uh, uh, in the Great Lakes, and actually okay. we started seeing them probably about 92. Okay. And um, the one female zebra mussel can release a million eggs in a given season. Wow. wow. And they're microscopic. It's not like a mussel where they have to attach to, uh, you know, a fish gill as a host. These things are in the water. They drift. And they're so microscopic that in just a little puddle of water, in the middle of your boat deck, you can have several hundred or a thousand. And uh, that's what we're trying to do with um, the high school and with Michael uh, helping us sponsor um, Stop Aquatic Hitchhikers is mm-hmm. to educate the boaters, uh, the recreational boaters and the anglers to uh, clean, drain, dry their boat. And it's, it's pretty simple. Just pull your plug to drain the interior of your boat, your live wells. And um, actually, some zebra mussels can live 30 days in a moist environment. So we know, and uh, I think 2015, we actually found zebra mussels in Cherokee Reservoir. And the only way they could have got there was from other boats. Another boat. Mm-hmm. Probably striper fishermen going from Norris to Cherokee to fish or stripers. So 
we're trying to use some biological control on Cherokee since it's just a you know a small amount of zebra mussels we're stocking um red ear sunfish also known as a shell cracker mm-hmm. they've got pharyngeal teeth uh in their throat and they'll actually crunch up the small zebra mussels and then we have stocked uh, blue catfish that are known to consume them as well so okay uh our major i guess plan is to educate the anglers and the recreational boaters to um take care of their boats when they pull them out if there's any vegetation on the boat and just kind of do a visual uh looking for any um zebra mussels the, the problem is one the boats that are in slips for more than 30 days they can start attaching um they uh the villagers will drift and float in the water for about 30 days and then they start looking somewhere to attach mm-hmm. and um that's what we're seeing is these boats have been in the water for 30 days they could already be on there they move into another water another body yeah body water and they if they're the villager they can just be flushed out right so, so david you know one of the things i think we like to say is it really is about people if we want to stop this it's it's got to be people that mm-hmm. do it they're not walking across land it really is how uh, we are interacting exactly. with our environment so that clean drain dry means everything to us and it's not just us one of the things that michael and i what we were chatting chatting about before the show is you know seeing our reservoirs 30 years from now when we might be too old to be out there with a mm-hmm. with rod and reel fishing uh we know our children or our grandchildren are going to be out there and we want to protect these resources for that time. Yes. And we're also concerned about, uh, bait buckets and the bait dealers. A lot of the bait dealers in Tennessee gets, get their bait from the Northern States. And we have documented sticklebacks that are not native, uh, gambusia or the mosquito fish, uh, in these baits. And also, uh, crayfish. We've got several invasive crayfish that are coming through the bait dealer. So we, Try to educate the angler to, when they get through fishing, to take that bait bucket and dump it in the woods uh, or on the uh, ground and not dump that back into the water. Yeah, we all, we often say that even um, earth, earthworms, the red wigglers, people don't know that that is not a native earthworm. That I think there's only one or two native earthworms in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all that bait needs to be disposed of properly it shouldn't just be dumped into the water or dumped on the shore exactly um so yeah it's all about us we've got to step up there and one other avenue or uh, in this management plan they they documented pathways how these things came in and you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, aquarium keepers that dump their aquarium fish and these are usually tropical fish that Mm -hmm. will survive the winter we get uh reports and pictures in the national office of paku which is a relative of the piranha it doesn't have the teeth of a piranha um of course the oscars and uh gofish show up and um we think a lot of our aquatic vegetation um we know in percy priest in the upper reaches of parrot feather is taken over and that's generally an aquarium or a uh, koi pond uh plant species that's coming it's not native so we you know i understand that they the aquarium keepers don't want to dump their their fra- favorite Oscar that they named or, <laughs> you know, flush it. or. But the most humane way is to put it in a freezer, and they will slowly die. And then also your vegetation will freeze. But uh, we're seeing a lot of these aquarium fish. And also 
Just as a sidebar, we've got the Tom Bigby pathway. We actually have striped mullet in Tennessee and a needlefish, which is a saltwater fish, mm. that makes that pathway up uh, through that chain. So we see a lot of crazy things out in the in the water bodies. Well, in, in Middle Tennessee, would you consider the, the tilapia? Would that be considered an, uh, invasive? It is invasive, and but that is also a... Um, uh, anybody can raise that right. as a production fish. In a pond or something, yeah, it's yeah. a commercial raised uh, food fish. Uh, we think that the population in uh, the Cumberland River, Old Hickory specifically, came from the 2010 flood. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh. But uh, but they're kind of isolated into that warm water area near that. They are steam plant. They seem to uh, pack in there as soon as the water temp gets below 48 degrees. They'll get in that that discharge flume. Yeah, I, I think all of this is why one of the reasons we we're so excited for Michael to come on board, because as an agency, um, we put out messages continually, but to have someone embedded yes. in the field, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking to uh, fellow anglers um, about what's going on just means the world to us. Uh, it really, you know, spreading that word, we can talk to kids and groups and everything, but actually having somebody out there that's putting all these things into practices just means a lot to us. Yeah, and up north and specifically uh, the Asian carp in the Missouri River, they're actually seeing the native species being ran out by the Asian carp. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Asian carp are filter feeders, and up north they're seeing the shad populations decline and also the paddlefish because they're consuming the same food items. So, um, you know, we certainly don't want people moving – catching bait below a dam that's got Asian carp in it and moving it to another reservoir. Right. As I said earlier, if you dump your bait bucket, guess what you just did? You just spread an invasive species. So mm-hmm. like Mimi says, down the road, who knows what our water body is going to look like from these invasive species if we, you know, uh, each individual angler or, or recreational boater doesn't do their part just to check their boat before going to another another reservoir. Yeah, as a state agency, we want to we want to control that so badly, mm-hmm. but we can't do it with the support of all of our anglers and all of our uh, outdoor enthusiasts across the state. Exactly. So get on get on board, yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike, put the mic back uh, the mic back over to Michael if you don't mind. Um, I, I had a question. How did you learn about the aquatic nuisance species issues? Did, is that something you were just kind of aware of, or did was it the notice that, that we're putting out there that got you aware of it, or how did you? learn about that it was it was generally all across the country but when i came here this is home i mean this is what i really want to make sure first and foremost gets taken care of and when i started learning about this and i saw all the signs at the boat ramps and twra is really making a big push to this so i came to the guys at the fishery department and wanted to do something to help so that's what that's why i'm here that's why i've got it on my boat my truck and my jersey is i want to make everybody aware of what we're doing to try and solve some of these problems slow them down and to make sure these waterways stay the way they are now for future generations and i i was going to show a picture of of uh your boat or actually it's your truck the the tailgate or the quarter panel of the truck there you're standing there next to it uh it's got the, the you can help stop aquatic nuisance species or hitchhikers and uh it's got the clean drain dry you know the check marks there so that's cool to, to have that on the on the truck and you said it's on the boat 
Yes, sir. It's on. It's on both. I mean, and that's very important. That's that's three simple steps: clean, drain, dry, and that'll solve a whole lot of these problems and slow them way down. If everybody would just do that, it's it'd take a lot of a lot of effort out of this. Michael, when you're out on the tour, do you see other anglers really uh, buying into this and understanding how aquatic nuisance species are affecting our waterways? And do you see them jumping on board with you to? Yeah, you know, fishermen as a whole are are very environmentally friendly. They understand. They know what's going on. They want to preserve these resources. So, yeah, I would say as a whole, most of them are jumping on board. It's, and it's something that I'm seeing more gradually every year. Used to, I mean, bass tournaments, you just take fish and every one of them would die. They'd clean them and eat them. But now they've gone to catch and release and that. And I think this is going to be the next step is making sure that at all these tournaments and just educating the anglers and as a whole just to clean, drain, dry and take, take steps in the right direction and spread the word to everybody else that don't know it as well. That's great. Are there – I'm just – this just came to mind are there areas at the boat docks and boat ramps and things to to wash your boat off and and to, to help with these these things or just it's up to the angler once they get home to clean off their boat and and keep it out of the you know keep from trans trans what's the word i'm trying to look? transport transporting these yeah <laughs> these species from water to water most of it is up to the angler but uh, i mean most of it you can get to the areas you drain your live wells you drain your boat uh you pull any of the excess grass off your trailers or mm-hmm. things like that especially when you're going from one body of water to the next so if you go to chickamauga from watts bar you want to really make sure to take these extra steps mm-hmm. i mean it's always a good idea to do it but anytime you're going from one place to another that's when these things really take off yeah and it's and like david was saying you know it's normally the boats that are sitting there a little while that the zebra mussels and things start attaching to but like you say the grass and things on the motor that's another easy way that could be spread right that and i mean the bilge pumps or the the bilge area of the boat i mean if you don't take your plug out and you get backwash or a wave comes over the front of the boat whatever and then you you go to another lake he said these things can live for 30 days in a moist environment so Mm -hmm. if they're sitting in the bottom of your boat for two weeks and you go to a new lake and your bilge pump kicks on well you just inadvertently transported that Mm -hmm. just because you didn't pull your bilge your bilge plug out well um Let's uh, let's move to just a little more, uh, I guess a, a happier topic or whatever. But <laughs> that, it's all good information, and, and and I just but I just wanted to talk to Michael about you know, over the course of your career and fishing in Tennessee. What's your thoughts on how the fisheries management's going on here in Tennessee? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, that's the only that's one of the main things that you can really tribute the success of Chickamauga to is the TWRA's fisheries department. I mean, they stocked the Florida bass here. Now they started to stock them in other reservoirs, Watts Bar, Nickajack. So, I mean, it's really going to take off. I mean, it took a few years here to see the growth of the fish. But, I mean, and not only that, but all these other species that they do. We have, I would say, the best wildlife resources agency anywhere I've been. It seems like everybody here takes great pride in everything we have, as well as the anglers and outdoors people. I mean, you see it. Everybody has that pride for and uh, the love for the outdoors, but it seems like here in Tennessee, it's just it's the best place I've been. I say we do awesome. it because we love it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. We uh, I, I happened to be with Fisheries when they were stocking the Tennessee bass or, or the Florida bass. You know, which can't be stocked just anywhere, and a lot of research. Uh, went into to the program and uh, there were a couple anglers there watching the fish go into the water and they said and the, we're talking little tiny fingerlings and they said oh fishing's going to be good next year oh, yeah. I said gentlemen give us about six seven years 
man. They pull some some amazing fish out of those bodies of water when they go shocking and doing their studies and stuff. It's yeah, pretty crazy. Oh yeah, well, I know one one study was done locally here at a tournament, and the fin clippings they were they saw what species they were if they had the Florida strain in them, um, and I think almost every single fish over eight pounds had some sort of the Florida strain genetic in it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just proof, uh, data proof of what these fisheries management people are doing and how they're helping these waters. And uh, something I can't help but mention is this past year. I mean, it's amazing the state records and the world records that we're yeah. we're having here in Tennessee, and and a lot of them have been fish. Mm-hmm. And even though it might be a perch or you know or or it, it, sometimes it comes out of a pond and you know, but it's amazing what kind of resources we're producing here in Tennessee. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I, I got to go back to the aquatic nuisance species. Okay, go ahead. Well, um, so, you know, biologists see aquatic nuisance species as the biggest threat to fisheries pro- to our fisheries program. And um, how do you, you, you've answered this, but I, I, in, in a roundabout way, but I, I'd like to hear it again. Just how does um, this impact your thoughts as you proceed with your career? I'm just 25 years old, so I look at this and I figure I've got at least another 40 to 50 years to enjoy the outdoors. And that's why I'm so passionate about this is because I want to make sure that we have these clean, wholesome environments to to enjoy, not only for me, but my future generations as well. I mean, like y'all say, 40, 50 years down the road is a long time to know what's going to happen. But I know that if I take these steps and I educate other people to take these steps, that it's going to be a step in the right direction to preserve our resources. Well, uh, I have one more question for you, and it's it's Doug Markham's not here, so I got to okay, say go it ahead. on his behalf. Will you teach Jason J- Jason how to fish? I will. I will be more than happy to. <laughs> well, you might have to teach Doug and Jason how to fish. And he's taken me many times, and we've, we've struggled the most the past few. So anyway, uh, it's good to give Doug a hard time. But anyway, he would have loved to been here and talk to you, but he's on assignment, you could say, I guess. But anyway, hey. Thanks for being with us. Thank thanks, you, David, David, for Thank you, coming Michael. down. And Mimi, thanks for coming. My I pleasure. forgot to introduce you as Region 3 Information Specialist. Yes. So it's good to have the region coordinators on with us every now and again. Good so. to be back. Thanks. So, thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for watching. You can catch us on tnwildlife.org and keep following our social media. We're always out there and keep coming back. Thank y'all.